Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And this morning we're going to begin looking at a section which finishes the rest of chapter 5. We've entered into Paul's household code. We've entered into three sets of relationships, reciprocal relationships. Wives to husbands and husbands to wives. Children to parents and parents to children. Slaves to masters, masters to slaves. And we're going to look at each of these one by one. This morning, we are primarily going to focus our attention on what Paul says to the wife. But even that instruction comes at the end of the section as well. You have to deal with the section as a unit. So I'd like to begin by reading Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through the end of the chapter of a word of prayer, and we'll begin. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Lord God, this is a challenging text. Your word is clear. Your commands, your order, your patterns for our homes are clear. And yet, I can think of few topics where your wisdom and your word are more at odds with both our culture and the natural inclinations of our heart. So Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you would reveal your word, establish it as that which causes reverence for you, that we would be faithful to you and to your word, not to our opinions, that you might find us submissive first and foremost to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a difficult text and a difficult topic, not because the text is difficult, As so often happens in Scripture, the most challenging and difficult things that God has to say for us are generally pretty clear. Um, You'll see even in my outline, rather than finding some way to reword the text, I'm just quoting the text. The entirety of our text are the points in the outline. I'll let it speak for itself. Another reason this is challenging is here, I, a man, giving instruction from God's Word to wives. And again, the notion is not that the authority is in myself. If that were the case, that would be very difficult. Rather, I'm a herald, I'm a messenger, I'm just delivering the mail. And, and God has said these things. He said these things to be read publicly. You may think, well, say these things privately in a woman's seminar. No, 
We saw this last week. The, the wives are addressed in front of their husbands. The husbands are addressed in front of their wives. The children are addressed in front of the hearing of all. God not only intends for us each to receive our instruction, but he intends that everyone else hear it too. And we hear everyone else. And so it is fitting and appropriate to talk to a subgroup in front of everyone. That, that's one of the reasons it can be challenging, but one of the reasons this is right and good. The other is there are a few topics in Christian theology that the culture finds more offensive. It's stunning to me as I was reading some commentaries and attempts to deal with this, how much walking back of the text there is, how much softening this down, which again is, well, I'll just let it speak for itself. And I think a final reason this can be a challenging text is each and every one of us, I think, resists the notion of submission in general, to anything. So if you're not a wife here this morning, I would suggest to you that part of your uh, how this can be beneficial for you is what Paul says to wives as regards to submitting to their husbands is, is we're all under submission. Biblically, we're to submit to God. Same, it's the same word, James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God. Negatively, the rebellion of sinful man is described this way, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the unbeliever is not submitting to God. Jesus submits to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Jesus submitted to his parents on earth. Luke 2.51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. We are all called upon to be submissive to government. Romans 13:1 through 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Children to parents, servants to masters, the church to its leaders. And these are passages we don't like and we want to tone down. We don't like the concept of submission. Because we are rebels at heart. And so I would hope that even if this is not directly instruction for you, in paying attention and understanding, the nature of submission does not change. The nature of submission is the same in every context. And so we're going to look at spirit-filled, submissive wives. We're going to look at it in three points over the three verses. But first, I've got to set it in its context. The reason why I put spirit-filled in the heading of the title, even though it's not mentioned in our text, is this is all flowing out of what's come before. In fact, the verb in verse 22, submit, isn't in the Greek text. It's supplied in the verse before. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Literally, wives to your own husbands. And so this is an extension of the thought that has come before. But when we see what came before in verse 20, we see it's part of a bigger chunk. We really have to go all the way back to verse 15. And in verse 15 through 18, we're going to see three contrasts. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's the first contrast. Second contrast, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And we study this, walking in wisdom. And then being filled with the Spirit is going to be accompanied by action. And so out of the three contrasts, 
we get these three different ways we express, we demonstrate our being filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord of your heart. One of the evidence of a spirit-filled person is they praise God. They're a worshiper and song of God. We've done that earlier this morning. Verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another mark of a person filled by the Spirit. They're thankful in all circumstances. So they're worshipful. They're thankful. Verse 21. Submitting to another out of reverence for Christ. What is a hallmark of a spirit-filled Christian, they submit to the authorities God has put in their life. And it's out of that offshoot that we enter into the household code. In other words, I would submit to you that each and every one of us adopting, embracing God's instructions for our various roles is one of the primary evidences of the Spirit's direction in our life. Many today see the primary evidence of the Spirit in ecstatic speech or tongues or other things. This is, this is the mark of the Spirit. Show me a submissive wife. Show me a sacrificing husband. Show me an obedient child, and I'll show you somebody likely filled with the Spirit. Flip that on its head. I don't care how much scripture you can quote. I don't care what type of acts of service you do. If you rebel at God's instruction for you in the home, you are rebelling against God. You are not walking in the Spirit. So we're going to enter into this. In, in, in all three pairings, Paul always addresses the submissive one first and then the one in authority. That's the order. And so let's look at this now. Primary instruction. Primary instruction. What I mean is this. The Bible addresses wives' relationships to husband in a number of passages. And in all of them, this is the primary instruction. It doesn't mean this is the only dynamic in marriage. It doesn't mean this and only this makes up a marriage relationship. I think the purpose and the point is this is the primary difficulty. This is the primary challenge. This is what the wife will find most difficult. So it's not for nothing. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is fitting in the Lord. 1 Peter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And in Titus 2, what is it the older women are supposed to teach? One of these Titus 2 ministries. Well, what are the older women supposed to be teaching the younger women? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. My point in highlighting these texts is to say this is not some unique aspect of Ephesians. Rather, this is the consistent instruction in Scripture. This is done primarily as an act of submission to God. God calls on us all to submit to various peoples. We don't like it. We grumble at it. And God makes it clear when we do that, we grumble and resist him. So this is done, I would submit to you also, only by the power of the Spirit. Only a person who understands the theology of the first three chapters, who has embraced the corporate instructions in chapters 4 and 5, and is walking in the Spirit, will be able to fulfill the roles God has for them. One other thing I'll say is this. As much as our culture may hate this, I think the fruit of our culture's marriages and families speaks for itself in its bankruptcy. I'm not interested in the culture's opinion because they clearly and self-evidently fail at marriage and family, in most cases. So we need to submit to God and his word. And if you find 
Women, this instruction today is difficult. I think you'll see God's instructions to husband is just as difficult or worse as we look in the next few weeks. But at the end of the day, you need to decide what has God said and what will you do to it with it. Will you receive it or will you resist it? Now, it's okay when you hear God's instruction to say, this is difficult, God. I'm going to need help. This is hard. That's great. But to say, I don't like this. I won't do this. That's another thing all together. So this is the primary instruction for wives that God's word has. This is, I think, the primary challenge they're going to have. It's not the only aspect of marriage. It's not the even... um, the most beautiful aspect of marriage, I think it is beautiful. There are, Paul talks about other aspects in other places. Rather, from the fall on, this was going to be the greatest challenge for wives and the most important aspect for them to focus on. This is where God wants you to center your attention. If you're, if you're not married, if you're a young woman, this is what you're aspiring to develop and prepare for. Young men, if you're looking for a wife, I'm not interested in how she submits to you, How does she submit to her authorities God's given? Her father, her mother. Those are things I'd be looking for, paying attention to. And for young women, if if God's fundamental command for your future husband is that you submit to him, I would want to pay great attention to how he deals with the authorities in his life. The last thing you want is someone who likes being in a position of authority, but not under authority. So I'd want to look at how he deals with his father, his mother, how he speaks of the government, especially when the people he doesn't like get elected how he deals with church authority. Because we're all in authority and we're all under authority. This isn't just something for some people. Even in this situation, as Paul gives specific instructions to wives. Okay. With that, by way of an introduction, let's begin. Now, even though I said the verb isn't su- is supplied from the verse before, it's a good translation. It's exactly what's being said. Wives submit is, is the command. It's actually repeated verbally again in verse 24, so there's no confusion. And so we've got to start by saying, what does it mean to submit? What, what is the meaning of the word? The, the etymology of the Greek is similar to English. Hupo tasso. Hupo, under, like a hupodermic needle that goes under the dermos. Under, tasso, to place. To place yourself under is the basic idea. It's a hierarchical authority picture. It's a military term. And anyone who's done service in the military understands a chain of command. That's the fundamental idea or word picture. And I'll give you your first blanks here. To submit. And again, this is for everybody. Because if you're called to submit, this is what it means. To willingly order yourself under the authority of another. To willingly order yourself under the authority of another. It's in the passive voice here. It's something you're doing to yourself. It's not being done to you. We'll see a little later in Ephesians chapter 1. God submits everything to Christ. There is active. But here it has to be willing. It has to be something voluntarily done. And this means, husbands, God has not called you to make sure your wives submit. God has not called you to enforce this with anything other than exhortation and appeal. This is something they are to do willingly. And in all instances of of submission, God calls on us to willingly order ourselves under the authority of another. Now, that ordering is going to look different in different circumstances. In marriage, we know from Genesis 1 and 2, the wife is made to be a helpmeet. That ordering is going to be complementing, helping her husband. 
fulfilling him. My, my wife completes me in a very real sense. I am lacking and insufficient without her. And part of her ordering is recognizing my weak spots, recognizing where I need help, and supplying it. And so submission is to order yourself, willingly order yourself under the authority of another. So one direct implication then is this. That means you're not resenting or resisting them. Not resenting or resisting them. Submission is more than simply obedience because you can obey and hate it. We've all seen that picture of that child. I'm standing up on the inside. That's not submission. That might be obedience. It's not submission. If you resist and resent the person to whom you order yourself under, you're rebellious and resisting God. Whether that's the government, whether that's church leadership, whether that's your parents, whether that's your husband, whether that's God's word himself. Submission is to willingly order yourself under the authority of another, not resenting or resisting them. So listen to Genesis 3.16 as God explains the curse. And I think this is why this instruction gets repeated so many times. Because in the curse, God identifies this as one of the challenges, one of the temptations that will be facing the wife. God says this to the woman. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, some have taken that desire to mean something like a physical attraction. That's not what's going on. That exact same phrase occurs in the next chapter. So remember the the terminology. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now when God speaks to Cain before he murders his brother, Cain's angry, his face is fallen, he's pouting because his offering was not accepted. And the Lord said to Cain, Genesis 4, 6-7, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now listen. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you but you must rule over it. This is about control. This is about domination and control. Watch out, Cain. Sin has its desire for you, and you must rule over it. The chapter before, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is about striving for control in the marriage. And God tells the woman in the garden, because she's rebellious. Because in the eating, she comes out from under her husband's authority. She leads him. Now part of the fallout of that will be a perpetual struggle for control in the marriage. And so one of the ways we mark that we are spirit-filled is that we are now the people who no longer are struggling, resenting, resisting submission to authority. But where God calls us to do it, we do it willingly. It's a mark of the spirit. It's the mark of the spirit in wives. So to willingly order yourself under the authority of another, not resenting or resisting them. We get that same implication from Romans 13, different type of submission. But listen, I read this earlier to you. Romans 13, 12, 2, I mean, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. If you resist the authority, you're not submitting. You resent them, you grumble inside, I'm standing up. You are resisting God. Wherever you resist his rightly ordained authorities, wherever we're rightly called to submit, we need to see God standing behind the authority he has in place, even if it's a pagan Roman emperor. Not resenting or resisting them. Positively, then, that means giving them respect and honor. 
giving them respect and honor. So, so part of willingly ordering yourself under them is to recognize the hierarchical structure, to recognize the chain of command, to not resent your position in it, to embrace it. And that means then when you're dealing with people in a hierarchy above you, you're giving them a level of respect and honor. Do them. This is always attached with the verb submit in these contexts. When Romans 13, we're told to give honor and respect to Caesar. Look at the end of this passage, verse 33, let each of you love his wife as himself and see that the wife respects her husband. It's the clear implication. That's the way you demonstrate your acceptance of this relationship, that you're not kicking against this relationship when God calls you to submit. You're giving the respect and the honor due. Giving the respect and the honor due. You go look at how Daniel and his friends spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. O king, live forever. They're giving respect and deference to a pagan king trying to get them to worship another god. And even as they resist him, and even as they say, we can't do that, they're respectful. They are respectful. Or, and and to show you how far we've drifted, listen to 1 Peter 3. I'll read it to you. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see a respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is imperishable beauty and of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious, for this is how the holy women who used to hope in God used to adorn them. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She, she gave respect, and Peter cites it, and yet we're so far removed from it, we kind of whinge when we hear that. I'm not saying to you wives, call your husband Lord. I'm saying you could do that and be fitting biblical, and the fact that we sort of whinge and cringe at that indicates how far we've drifted. How far we've drifted. There's another direct implication of submit, and if you look this up in the English Dictionary, it's usually right there along with it, and that is, point two, to yield your will to the will of another. To yield your will to a will of another. In one sense, this is just another implication of rightly ordering yourself under someone. But this is the one that, that, that sticks for us mostly. It's why when I look up definitions of the word submit, whether it's in Greek or in English, one of the glosses that comes next to it is to obey. Because it's the direct implication in fruit. If this person, whoever they might be under authority, wife to husband, children to parents, you or I to the government, church to its leadership, where we rightly order ourselves under someone, the outcome of that is the doing of the will of the one above, obedience. Giving to yield your will to the will of another. To yield your will to the will of another. You turn back in Ephesians to chapter 1. You see the clear implication tied in. We'll look at this a little bit more in a minute or two. But for right now, look at verse 20. 
God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things. Now, put things, all things under his feet is just the active verb, submit. He submitted all things to him. And gave him his head over all things, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church, and the body is supposed to respond to the head. The head directs the body, and so it's, my body functions well when my hands and my legs do what my head tells them to do. And if my arms and legs aren't doing what my body tells, my head tells them to do, I've got some sort of disorder, I need medicine and treatment. So part of submission is yielding your will. And, and this, this, we understand this. In all places, whether it's submission to God and his word, whether it's submission to government, whether it's children, it, it doesn't, we don't see it clearly until we find those places where we most strongly disagree. My submission to the government is not seen when I receive a stimulus check. My, stimulus, my, my submission to the government is seen when I pay my taxes. I don't need authority to give you money. I need authority to say, open your wallet and give me $10. The test of our submission is not found in those passages where we already agree with God. That's, that's what liberals do. They, they just find the passages they like, and hey, guess what? God agrees with me. The test of submission to God, first and foremost, is what do you do with those passages of the Bible you most detest, you most struggle with? Do you yield to them? And the test of submission for us in our relationships is not what does the wife do when she thinks her husband is giving wise counsel, but when she thinks it's foolish. She completely, in her own wisdom, disagrees. What do I do with my political leaders when what the president, what his cabinet, what our senators, what our governor does? What, what do you do when they're asked to wear a mask and you think that's stupid? That's where we find out Submission. Not where you agree, but where you totally disagree. Now what do you do? That, that's the test of submission. To yield your will to the will of another. And it's not yielding if you already agreed. You're just affirming the will of another. To yield your will is Jesus saying, I don't want this cup. Let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. That's yielding of will. That's, that's what submission means. Now, Paul's directing here to wives, but this is in every instance where we're called to submit. We, we need to get our heads around this. It's to do it willingly, with respect, not with grumbling, and to yield our will to the will of another. That's, that's the command, to submit. Who to? Point B. To your own husbands. To your own husbands. So let's, let's qualify this a little bit here. One. This is not submission of all women to all men. The Bible does not teach all women need to submit to all men. The text is very clear. Who is the wife to submit to? To your own husband. There's, there's one man she's to submit to. Not all men. She's to submit to one man. This also means, um, ladies, if you've got a boyfriend, God is not calling you to submit to them. Submit to your parents. You should submit. The command is, wives, submit to your own husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. There's also something mutual here, and we'll see this more in the coming weeks, that there's a reciprocal relationship here. There's, a, there's an intertwining here. Because notice, he's your own husband. Mutual possession. 
mutual possession. He is your own husband. You have a husband. He's yours. And he has responsibilities for you. And we'll see those in the coming weeks. We'll even see some of that this morning. So to your own husbands, not the submission of all women to all men. But, and he's also, there's this mutual possession. I want to make one other qualification as well. I don't want you to get from this that God is saying the wife must never disagree with, must never have a different opinion than her husband. A wise husband wants his wife's involvement, her input. I want to have a discussion with my wife when we're talking about what we're doing or homeschooling or however we're going to organize our home. And I want to know what she thinks. And there can be vigorous debate. The issue is this. Once the husband's will is settled, once his mind is made up, once his will is known, then what? Because you're yielding your will to the will of another. My will, I may not have a will, in which case we can have a robust discussion. I don't want you to get a straw man picture that this just means the wife never has opinion. She's only just saying, what what do you think, dear? What do you think, dear? Rather, and you know this, you know when you're resisting the will of someone else. And you know when someone's resisting your will. And so when your husband has a will, when his will is clear to you, you are then to yield your will to his. That, that's what submission means. My wife and I regularly have vigorous discussions and disagreements. That's fine. As long as, and this is true for any other notion, whether it's in the workplace, as long as once, okay, no, this is my will. Okay, now there is a yielding. That, that's one other clarification I want to offer. So, final qualification in the first verse. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. Now, this, this makes two clear points. One, this means then, fundamentally, God is not calling you wives to submit to your husbands because of how wise they are. Because of how great they are. Because how much you need a husband. Because you're such a weak little woman. That's not the notion. People characterize that. That's not it at all. You're doing it as an act of worship to God. This is not, you're blank, because of your husband's superiority. The argument is not, he's greater than you. He's better than you. He's more deserving than you. No, it's because there's a living God. God says, do it as unto me. This is not because of your husband's superiority. And I've I got to stop here for a moment and, and read a quote I found very helpful from Vody Bauckham. The reason I make this is we are so tied up with this thought that if I am to submit to someone, I'm inferior to them. If that's true, then Jesus is inferior to the Father. I don't think we want to say that. I don't think we want to say that. That the Father is somehow more valuable, more worthy than him. Understand that as God calls us to submit, he is not calling us to do anything he himself has not modeled for us perfectly. So then we run into the very difficult position of saying, well, Jesus can submit, but I can't. So, Vody Bauckham cites this to try to show the, the cognitive dissonance here of the culture insisting, no, 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 wife, if you submit to your husband, it's demeaning. He said this during the the Bush presidency. Quote, My wife is a highly educated woman who has laid down all her pursuits in order to submit herself to my vision for the family. My wife does not contradict me in front of others. She shows me that respect and honor. My wife communicates to myself and others the vision that I have established for our family. 
My wife has forsaken other opportunities for independent self-fulfillment of her gifts in order to put her gifts under submission for me and my vision for the family. Continuing the quote, I say these things and feminists cringe, but what if I tweaked those things just a little bit? Dr. Condoleezza Rice is a highly educated woman who has laid down all her pursuits in order to submit herself to President Bush's vision for the country. Dr. Rice does not contradict President Bush in public. Dr. Rice committed herself and her vision for the President Bush's administration and not her own. Dr. Rice has forsaken other opportunities for independent self-fulfillment of her gifts for the sake of helping President Bush fulfill his agenda. How come, Vody says, she, when she does it, she's a hero, but when my wife does it, there's something wrong with it. You've been lied to. You believe that working for some man in the White House has more value and dignity than laying down your life besides a man that would lay down his life for you. End quote. So we can look at a woman dedicating her life to her business, her company, her political party, its pursuits, and we can say that's powerful fulfillment. And yet we see a woman doing that to her husband and to her family, and we call that demeaning. We got some things upside down and backwards. Okay, next Paul moves into um, the theological explanation. So this is done as an act of submission to Christ. Theological explanation. Paul doesn't just give the instruction, he gives the why. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now Paul is going to picture the ideal of marriage here. If you're struggling with seeing what I'm saying is good or beautiful, I want to lay out for you the the beauty of marriage when it's working properly. I know it doesn't always work properly. But I want to put before you the beautiful picture Paul puts out here. So first off, he makes a declaration. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does that mean? There's two options frequently suggested. One is authority. The other is source. And I think if we look back in Ephesians, it'll be clear. And here's your blank. It's the picture of authority. Headship as authority. We also have like the head of a river. And the, and the same thing can work with head. But it's clear here when we're using this picture of submission and headship. What we just saw in chapter 1, right? Go back to chapter 1. When he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Greek, he subjected. He submitted all things under his feet. And gave him his head over all things to the church. The picture here is not of source. Although there's a very real sense in which Jesus made all things. He is their source. Here, clearly, tying headship and submission together. The head is the authority. The one who directs the body. The one who rules over the things subjected to him. So the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the authority of the wife. That's that's the idea of the picture. Even as Christ is the head of the church. You see, the reason God orders this isn't fundamentally because men are so great. But there's something he wants to communicate. He wants marriage to picture something. And here, as the comparison is made, the husband is the head over the wife just as... Christ is head of the church. We're reminded of how Christ uses his authority. And this should comfort us. His body. Well, where's the last time we saw that? Go back to chapter 4 of Ephesians. Verse 
Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ is the head over the church, and what's he interested in doing? Nourishing and and building up and strengthening his body. That picture of head and body is a picture of nourishing love. He's laying the foundation of what he's going to tell the husbands in the next few verses. Husbands, love your own wife. He who loves his wife loves his own body. He's, He's setting that up. So the picture here is a head over a body, but the head's concern is to nourish and sanctify the body. His body, love and sanctifying authority. Those are your blanks. Love, loving, and sanctifying authority. That's the very place he's going to go from. He's laying the foundation for the husband's instructions. We'll see next week, right here, right? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So Christ's authority over his church, over the body, is done for the body's good, for its cleansing, for its maturing. So so this isn't an authority we need to fear. Again, this is the ideal picture. I know our marriages are not the ideal, but this is the picture I hope you can see beauty and goodness. Second, he describes it and is itself its savior. And again, he's setting up what he's going to call husbands to do in the next section. Now we're looking at sacrificial and redemptive authority. Sacrificial and redemptive authority. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? He's he's setting that up right here. So by reminding us why. Why does God want the wife to submit to the husband? Because in this relationship, she models the church just as her husband models Christ to the church. Husband is head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church. And then he reminds the wives why Christ, what he does with his authority over the church. He sanctifies the church as his body, caring for it, nourishing for it. And he is the Savior. He gave himself up for it. And so what you have is a picture of a wife ordering herself under her husband, being his helpmeet, serving and promoting his vision and trying to help him complete What is lacking in him. He, even as he's in authority, is devoted to her nourishing, cleansing, sanctifying her, and if necessary, laying down his life for her. I I think that's not an ugly picture, but a beautiful one. That's what God has ordained. That's the picture. That's the theological explanation. Which brings us uh, in verse 24 and point 3 to the gospel depiction. See, I, may, I tried to stress this last week, but these relationships are not fundamentally pragmatic. It's not fundamentally God did this because you'll like this, or God did this because it's working out best for you. God did this because he wants it to model something. He wants it to image something. He wants divine truth to be pictured. This is why we can't tamper with these things. Why we can't say, well, that's nice, but my family works better this way. Because we warp the picture. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay? So, quickly, the blanks here. Now, as the church submits to Christ. Now, your blank here is total. And what I mean is this. We may be tempted to think, when it says submit, it just sort of means 
listened to. I mean, I've, I've read commentaries saying the wife should, you know, consider what her husband has to say. That won't work when it's as the church submits to Christ. Does God tolerate or accept anything other than our obedience? Of course he doesn't. I mean, he's patient with us. But what does it mean for the church to submit to Christ? It means we hear his voice, his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him, right? So this makes it clear that these weren't guidelines or suggestions. This is a real command, a real obligation, right? So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See, the wife, your next blank, is to image, she is to image the church's relationship to Christ. God created marriage. We'll see this in the coming weeks. In order that there might be some way for him to image Christ's relationship to the church. I mean, this, is, this is jaw-dropping what Paul says a little later in this passage. It's not as though when Paul came along to try to explain the mystery of the church, God said, oh, you know what? This is kind of like marriage. Yeah, that's good. This is kind of like marriage. Rather, we learn marriage was made... So that when God wanted to explain what the gospel relationship of Christ and the church is like, it's like that. Look at this. Paul says this in verse um, 30 of chapter 5. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the end of Genesis 2. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Genesis 2 is talking about Christ and the church. It's not a secondary afterthought. Oh, hey, that, that's good. That's like that. Rather, it, in the intention, in creation, when God made marriage, he did it intending to one day use this as an illustration of Christ and the church. So God's purpose is that we would model this, that the world might know something of what Christ's relationship to his bride is and what the bride's relationship to Christ is. And God has determined, because he's the authority, that the wife models the church, the husband models Christ. And that's why we can't tamper with this thing. She is to image the church's relationship to Christ. Also notice point two. She is to submit to her husband in every area of life. The reason I, I point this out it's because what I see oftentimes in people trying to rein this back is, well, the husband only has authority in spiritual matters. So the husband only has authority in limited matters. The text couldn't be more explicit in denying that. Look at it. So also wives should submit in everything. And I find it funny when people are trying to qualify the exact opposite of what the text says. The text is comprehensive. It is expansive, right? Everything. Every area. We, we can't cordon this off to, like, submission zones. This is comprehensive. You are either ordering yourself under your husband in all the areas of your life, or if you're trying to cordon off zones, you're a rebel and resisting God. Point one, this is a comprehensive command. She you submit to her husband in every area of life, it's a comprehensive command. And turning your Bibles to 1 Peter 3. And I'm sure we can talk more about this in the ABF time this morning. But I know Paul pictures when everything's working beautifully. It's a body submitting to a head that cares and nourishes for it. It's a wife submitting to a husband who lays down his life for her. And we can nod along with this. And then when we hit real life, 
and husbands are ungodly and wives are ungodly, then we're not sure what to do. I would submit to you, this applies even if your husband is ungodly. Go to 1 Peter 3. This is the only passage I know of that directly speaks of a wife to a rebellious, sinful husband. And again, God's word is clear. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, we're either describing an unbeliever here or a rebellious Christian, potentially in the process of being disciplined, someone not obedient to the word, an ungodly person, So even if some of them do not obey the word. So he doesn't say, oh, your husband's ungodly. Well, then do whatever you want. Actually, your submission is meant as an evangelistic strategy to win him to Christ. That's what he says here. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So... This command, this order, even when husbands are not acting like Christ to the church. That's, that's partly why I said last week, our marching orders are given individually so that we can't say, well, they're not doing their job, so I'm not doing my job. Because one and the same sovereign Lord has given these instructions. He hasn't changed. He hasn't been unfaithful. Now, yes, ideally, and I, I do marriage counseling, trying to get the beauty of both halves working properly But don't let your husband's failures excuse your own. Husbands, we'll see this next week, don't let your wife's failure excuse your requirement to suffer and die for her. I mean, when Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that's just a nice way of describing crucifixion. Right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ did being crucified for her. And we'll see that next week doesn't let the husband off the hook if his wife isn't obedient to the word. There is, point three here, only one exception that I'm aware of. There's only one exception, is if he calls on you to sin. And there we have the example of Daniel and his friends. A king live forever, we cannot do this. We have the example of Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts. In Acts Chapter 5, verse 28. They were charged by the Jewish leaders. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. So in any authority in your life, children, as your parents, the leadership of this church, if, if the government tells you to sin, you don't obey. You obey God. That's the only exception I know of. So I'd like to close. We're going to, we're going to sing our final song. I just want to challenge you to, 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 to see what God has to say. I think this text is pretty plain. I think grammatically it's pretty straightforward. I just think it's hard. And I want to speak to a couple possible different responses. That some of you here may be hearing this for the first time. And this may be shocking. I would encourage you to Mull these things over. See if what I'm saying is so, like the Thessalonians, like the Bereans. And if this is the first time you've heard this, prayerfully consider it. Is this what the text says? Is this this what other texts say? And then if it is, will you receive this from God's hand as a good thing for you? 
Others of you may be discouraged. You know this is what it says, but you're so far from doing this, it seems impossible. Cry out to your father and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Say, I don't know how to do this, but I want to do this. Some of you may flat out reject this. My, my word to you would be repent. You are resisting God. Now, all of us need to submit to the authorities God's given us, and it will be difficult for each and every one of us. But God, his commands are not burdensome. It gives them for our good. God desires that our marriages and our families would image theological truth. We, we need to be submissive first and foremost to him, directed by his spirit, and then we need to be obedient, willfully submitting ourselves to those he has called us to submit to. Please stand as we sing our closing song.